Well, as the ancient saying would go, gold is valuable, but jade is invaluable. Jade is a beautiful gem that's only found in 12 places worldwide and is extremely rare. In fact, imperial jade is considered the world's most expensive gem. Uh, jade is a beautiful, imperial jade is a beautiful green color. And you even see some of the lines on the inside. Um, what's amazing about jade is jade sells for $3 million per carat. Talk about an engagement ring. Right? $3 million per carat, jade can be sold. One of the most expensive necklaces ever sold, made of jade, sold for $27 million. So there was a young man thinking, hey, you know, this might be a good business to get into. So there are these jade experts that understand jade, and they can tell between the real and the not-so-real, the counterfeit and the genuine. And so the student went and found an expert, and he said, I want to learn from you to be able to tell the difference between real jade and fake jade. And so the expert said, okay, well, show up tomorrow and be ready. So the kid showed up, a student walked up to the, to the room, to the house, and knocked, and the expert opened the door, and he said, close your eyes and open your hands. And he put a gem in his hand, and he, closed, he said, close your hands, now you can open your eyes. And the expert said, I want to tell you about my wife, and started talking about his family. An hour goes by, two hours go by, three hours goes by, he's still just talking about his family. And he said, okay, close your eyes, open your hands. Okay, now you can open your eyes. All right, lesson's done for the day. That happened again for two, three, four more days. Knock on the door. Close your eyes. Open your hands. Put gem in his hands. Close his hands. Okay, well, I want to tell you about my kids. The next day, oh, I want to tell you about my uncle. Tell you about my aunt. Tell you about my grandparents. Tell you about how I got into this business. And so this goes on for months and years. And another time he comes in and he says, well, I want to tell you about how I got involved in, in the whole jade business and the money that you can make doing this. And so the student is wondering this entire time. He says, he asks the expert, when will you talk to me about Jade? And the expert says, I'm the expert. You don't ask the questions. And so then he walks out. The next day he comes back. The expert says, close your eyes, open your hands. And the expert places a gem in his hands. And he says, now you can close your hands. And the student says, that's not Jade. And the expert says, now you understand between counterfeit and genuine. The entire time he was placing a real Jade gem in his hand just to get the feeling of it. And then he placed a counterfeit, and he immediately could tell. In fact, that's how our world, that's how we study when it even comes to U.S. currency, to be able to study a counterfeit versus a genuine. Uh, they don't study the counterfeits, they study the genuine. A genuine dollar bill is 25% is linen and 75% cotton, and it has red and blue fibers randomly all throughout it. I used to work in, in retail management, and I would, I'd be able to tell a real bill from a counterfeit bill. You could just tell by the feel of it. There was one person, even if they're a good counterfeit, one person came in, and they had a lot of $5 bills, which is a brilliant idea. Don't counterfeit $100 bills. That's too easy to be able to tell. Do $5 bills. And I felt them. I was like, this doesn't feel right. Something about it is off. I didn't see the red and blue fibers, and I could tell that the, the mixture was off. It wasn't 25 and 75%. Something was mixed up about it. You could tell the counterfeit from the genuine. And counterfeit can get you in trouble because it can't provide for you because it's not the real thing. And just like counterfeit bills will get you in trouble, counterfeit faith will get you in trouble because it can't sustain you. So what about us today? How do we have not a counterfeit faith, but a genuine faith, and on the flip side, in a counterfeit culture? I want to be sustained by God in the faith that I have in him. I don't want to have this false ideology, this fake faith, this fake belief, and this counterfeit that I bring to God, or even a counterfeit understanding of who God is. We get to look at God's word. We've been in the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Daniel chapter 3? 
Uh, each week we kind of share where we are in the Bible. Um, we are in, uh, open your Bible halfway, you'll get to Psalms or Proverbs, going to the right, you'll get to Isaiah, then Jeremiah, Lamentations, then you eventually get to Ezekiel, and then you'll get to Daniel. That's where we're going to be today. And what has happened is the Babylonian Empire has come in and they have brought back captives, uh, captive Hebrew people into Babylon, and they said, here's how I want you to talk, here's how I want you to eat, here's how I want you to think, and here's how I want you, which we'll see today, to worship. All right, so you have a counterfeit king in a counterfeit kingdom, trying to create a counterfeit culture that would somehow maybe look like heaven? But are we going to fall for the counterfeit? So that's what we're going to see today in Daniel chapter 3. Last week we talked, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a dream. And in this dream he saw an image of gold and irons and bronze and silver and iron and clay. And that that image was destroyed and it was representing the different empires that were going to come. But now we're about 15 to 20 years after that dream and look what he does. He creates another statue, an image. I saw it in my dream and it was destroyed. Maybe if I create it in real life, it'll last forever. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1 of chapter 3, made an image of gold because he's saying there's no other God besides me. 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's 90 feet high and, 90, and 9 feet wide. Just to get our mind in perspective, if you've ever been uh, down near downtown at the bay, um, if you'll see right by the midway, there's that huge statue, right? the, the sailor and, and the lady next to him. That's 30 feet tall. This is a 90 foot tall statue. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Why would he pick this place out of everywhere? Because this is the exact site where the Tower of Babel was placed. And he's saying before a bunch of people came together and did the same thing and tried to reach the heavens to be gods. Maybe we can do the same thing here. Verse 2, he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So he gets the entire government to go to one place and listen to one person. That is fascinating that the government could do one thing together. Look at that. Let's go to verse 3. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Imagine all of them in awe just standing before this image. It would have been a sight to see. Verse 4. Then the herald. The herald is someone who makes royal announcements. We know this from uh, the song. Hark the herald angel sing. Right? It's, it's a, a herald is someone who makes the royal announcements. They're the royal announcer. Loudly proclaimed. Nations and people of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. Immediately when you see that type of language. Especially in the negative. In the positive we should be thinking of. Revelation that says every, every knee and every tribe and every tongue will, will bow before God. Right? We also see that um, in other places in scripture. But in the negative context we should immediately be thinking of Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. Which said every nation and every tribe was told to bow to the beast. So immediately we should. Whoa, whoa, hold on. What's, what's he about to ask here? Why do we have people of every language? Being asked to be at a certain place and told to do something. Verse 5. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 6. This is when we start to get into the heat of things here. really starts to fire up for us. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. 
That was a free dad joke for you. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, all of the instruments, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Think about that sight. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people surrounding this image. And as soon as the music started, the people started worshipping. At this time, the astrologers, we talked about them last week, came forward and denounced the Jews. Um, that word denounce means to slander and to have hatred. They're, they're coming to the king not because of their devotion to the king, but their hatred for the Jewish people. Verse 9, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Now, I know this was a common saying back then, but if, if you had a dream that you were told that you were not going to live forever, which if you don't know that, we're not all going to live forever uh, here on earth. We all will spend eternity somewhere. Um, you're told that your reign is not going to last forever. Wouldn't you tell people that dream? But as we study King Nebuchadnezzar, I, I, I'm starting to believe that he didn't tell anyone the dream. Which is why the astrologers still come forward and say, may you reign in eternity. That's literally the translation. Why, why would he reign in eternity? He had a dream that his kingdom was going to crumble. Just like every other kingdom. God's the only one who's going to last forever. Verse 10. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, all the instruments, lyre, harp, and pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 12. There are some Jews... And notice they start to point fingers at the king that you have set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names, their Hebrew names, which we've told you uh, nearly each week. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Who pay no attention to you. They disregard you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You see, these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they have this genuine faith within them. And for many of us, as we go into different cultures, as we experience a modern-day ideology of Babylon in our world today, one of the things that they were able to have, that I want us to have when it comes to our genuine faith, they expected their worship to be tested. And many of us, we don't want the test. It's like, I'm just going to follow God and everything's going to be perfect. Do you know what they did to Jesus? Right, like, like we are going to be tested. It's what we do in the testing. I like to drink these protein shakes and on the side it says shake well before using. So you got to shake it up. Sometimes I wonder if God does that to Marcus. He goes, Marcus, I'm going to use you but I'm going to shake you up for a little bit. Because I'm going to change some of the things that, that you're thinking and the places that you're going. I'm going to shake you up for a little bit before you go into this next season. I remember when I got saved, I wanted to go to Bible college, and so I, I got into Bible college, and I was so excited. I remember getting the acceptance letter. I screamed. I was excited. I go to Vanguard, and one thing they don't tell you about Bible college, first, it's amazing. Living in a dorm is amazing. They don't tell you that it costs all the money. <laughs> all the money. And so I did. I was working at DirecTV in sales. I was working at the Buckle in retail management, and I was doing business-to-business -business sales on the side while being a full-time student to try to pay for college. And while I'm going to college, um, they would tell me, hey, you need to go see the advisor, financial advisor, to figure out, you know, all the bills that you owe. And I was like, yeah, I know, I'm really trying to work on it. Um, and then I got this really cool uh, note one time on my dorm, and it was this little letter, like this size, and it was pink. And it said, Marcus, you're no longer enrolled because you have debt. And I was like, oh, I got pink slipped. 
Awesome. Thank you. And so immediately I was like, well, God, what am I supposed to do? And there was something within me that says, well, I have a parking permit on my car that's good for a year. I'll live in my car. So I did. So God, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Because I grew up not knowing that there was a God who loved me completely. So I want to tell the rest of the world for the rest of my life as long as I can. So God, I want to learn about you because I don't just want to stand on a corner and say, hey, hell is real and, you know, I don't know anything else. Like, like oh God, I want to know you. And so I want to study. And, and so I would still go to classes, living in my car, still working the three jobs, still living in my car, going to classes, and the professors would be like, you're not enrolled in this course. And I go, I know. And they say, well, it's midterms. I know, go ahead and give it to me. <laughs> you know, I'll still take it. Really doesn't matter if I fail or not, but still, you know, I'm, I want to learn. I want to learn. I, I want to do this. And I remember God just kind of shaking me up in this moment. And I remember him asking me, it was almost clearly that I would hear him say, Marcus, how bad do you want this? God, if I have to live in my car to learn more about you, it's worth it. And I kept going to school. I kept going to classes. A few months later, my RD, his name was Jeremy King, Mr. Resident Director, he walked down. It was about 2 a.m. I had gotten back home. I called it into my car after working the retail job at about midnight. He knocked and he said, you really are going to do this forever? I said, yeah. And he said, okay, well, you can live back in the dorm. Um, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm like, they're going to know. I'm loud, just like I am today. I was loud back then. I was like, they're going to know I'm in there. And he's like, but I can't help you with the classes because there's, you know, money that you owe. He goes, but, I, but there is someone um, I may connect you with. I said, okay, no problem. So I'm living in the dorm, still going to classes, still working. And then he connects me with someone who has a dad in the Central Valley area, Madera, who was looking for a youth intern. And Jeremy was like, is that something you'd want to do? I said, yes. And he said, you don't need to think about it? I said, what do I need to think? I'm living in my car. Yeah. I'm there. I told you I'm going to do the rest of my life. I know this much. Let's go. You know, God, good, devil, bad. As you guys know, that's my theology. That's it. God, good, devil, bad. I'm done. You know, let's keep going. And I get there. I go to the church and I meet the pastor and he says, I want to help you finish school. I wonder what would have happened if while I was being shaken, while I was being shook, if I would have given up. I would not get to experience that awesome experience I had in, in Madeira and learning amazing things about God, continuing school, continuing education. I love learning. I'll be a forever student the rest of my life. But if I would have given up when I was being tested, I would have missed it. They expected to be tested. And you'll find their expectation during this test is all about worship because in in Daniel chapter 3, you see worship 11 times. And most of the time, it's in the negative. First time you see it in the negative. Second time, it's here in the negative. Who does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. And our worship often can be compromised, especially living in a culture of Babylon. Our worship can be compromised by two different areas. One is pleasure, and one is pressure. Just think about that beautiful sight for a moment. You're on this plain of Dura where you could see everything for miles and miles. You're lifted up. You're a little bit higher. You're thinking of the history that was there. The Tower of Babel was here. This is crazy. My my grandparents, 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 grandparents were here. This is unreal. And, And then you see this beautiful image of gold. You haven't seen gold like this. Babylon was known as the empire of gold. You see gold like you've never seen before and so much of it. This is just unreal. And then you see people from different languages and different places that are all in that same place. It would have been a beautiful sight to see the beautiful creation of God in his people surrounding you. It would have been pleasing to the eyes and it would have been pleasing to see would have been pleasing to the ears when people started to worship. And then you think about the pressure. 
Everyone else is doing it. Sounds like today. Everyone else is doing it, so might as well do it. You'll be on the outside if you don't do it. No, but we can't compromise our worship. There's only one who is worthy. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they choose... We're not going to worship like everyone else. Think about that image. Everyone else is bowing down and worshiping a piece of gold. And they're the only three standing up. Y'all look weird. (laughs) Strange. (laughs) But they chose obedience over compromise. How many of us miss the opportunity to choose obedience over compromise? It's so much easier to compromise. I've seen it. I've seen it in our lives. I've seen it in the pulpits. I've seen it in churches. I've I've seen it in neighborhoods. I've seen. It's easier to compromise, but if we're going to be obedient to God, obedience leads to endurance. That's what Scripture would say. That that obedience in God leads a life. It leads endurance in life. We see this. The brother of Jesus. He writes it this way: Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. I wish that's how I saw every trouble. I'm trying to get there, and I'm still working on it. But a trouble comes up. Let me tell you what happened on Thursday. I woke up, grabbed my gym bag, ready to go to the gym. It's zero dark 30. I'm ready to go. I close my back door. I look down. Flat tire. I already have worship music. I wake up to worship music, and I have worship music playing. I had my headphones in, and worship music was going. And I knew this message was the message we were going to be talking about today. And I said, will I worship with the flat tire? I will. So I said, sounds like I'm not going to the gym. Sounds like I'm going on a long run today with worship music. And sure enough, hands lifted, looking like a crazy man in Santa. It's fine. It led me to joy. It led me to worship. And why is this so important? Because James says, for when your faith is tested, that means when it's proved, when you can tell whether your faith is counterfeit or genuine, your endurance has a chance to grow. And he goes on, so let it grow. Let all this grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. I pray that that's all of our goal. How many of us want to be perfect in the room today? Well, just so you know, Jesus was perfect. So, yes, we all want to be perfect. That word perfect is not like we say in our typical vernacular. Uh, the word perfect is actually spiritually mature. Complete is whole. So think about the broken areas of your life, the shattered pieces, the dark areas of your life. Imagine if God can bring you to a place of spiritual maturity and wholeness where you can finally say, Lord, you are my shepherd. There's nothing that I need if it's not from you. But how do we get there? According to scripture, through the trials. So you have these three holy men walking in obedience to God rather than obedience to man. Who in a moment after the tattletale, some of the first tattletales of the Bible. Ooh, king, you know what happened? (laughs) These people aren't doing what you said. So immediately, the king, furious with rage, he summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were standing right in front of the king. Imagine what they were filled with at that moment. Imagine the knock on their door. Hey, guys. uh, You guys remember that whole thing out in the plain of Dura? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so everyone was bowing down, right? Right? Y'all weren't, so King's not happy. Um, you know, he likes to tear people limb from limb. So he wants to meet with you, though, so hopefully it's good. <laughs> so they walk in to meet with the king. And I don't think they were faced with fear. I think they had a strong courage. Because it wasn't the first time that they were tested. 
some of us, the first time that we're tested, we really start to, really start to kind of freak out a little bit, get a little scared. But when we've been tested before, we know, okay, I know it's on the other side of this. Preparing for this message, I was thinking about that story at Vanguard and being in the car, and, and I was reminded that wasn't the first time I was living in a car. I remember when I was making some terrible decisions, and my mama said, not in my house. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I was in a car, going from house to house, parking lot to parking lot. And God said, for that moment, you were in a car because of the decisions you made. Marcus, now that I'm with you, you're in a car and I'm with you. How does it feel this time? You see, there's something about being tested when you're with God versus going through pain when you're without him. It's a completely different experience. So for them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's not their first test. Remember, Pastor Brooks shared the great message about them not being, not, willing, not being willing to defile themselves with the things of Babylon? We're not even going to eat like you guys. We'll eat some fruits and veggies and have the Daniel fast, right? Well, that's just how we live. We'll just focus on that. So this is not the first time that we've stood up against an evil counterfeit king in a counterfeit culture who is now asking for counterfeit worship. No, we're not going to do that. So they saw this opportunity standing before the king. It was their opportunity for you and I, what we must do, just like they did, to walk with what we call godly grit. Like a true resilience and a stamina and a staying power. Like it doesn't matter, this is where my feet are going to be. It doesn't matter if everyone else around me says, this is how it needs to be said, this is how you need to talk, this is what you need to think, this is what you need to believe, this is what you need to say, here's what you can't say. My feet are planted. I'm sorry, but I preach the Bible. I'm going to stay here. And I know it's easy to compromise, but we're going to stay here. We're going to walk with grit. I love how the Dictionary of Psychology, uh, they said it this way. Grit is a personality trait characterized by perseverance and passion, overcoming challenges and maintaining interests, despite, this is the important part, failures, adversities, and plateaus in progress. Oh, I want some godly grit. No matter what I face, when the world may laugh at you, when people may walk away from you. Man, if I could just stay passionate and pure and resilient, I know I'll persevere. But it doesn't start with me. It starts with God. It's a God-first mentality. That grit is, we're going to kind of unpack this acronym. This grit is, it is understanding this earthly resilience is only found in a godly reliance. Which means he's the one that I'm going to praise, I'm going to thank, I'm going to trust, and he's the one I'm going to worship. So they have their, fir- their feet firmly planted and the king walks up to them and he says, is it true? Now, I mean, this is the, the first thing and the last thing that you'll ever learn from King Nebuchadnezzar that was a good thing. The only time he ever gives a leadership lesson. Whenever someone starts to talk to you badly about someone else, goes directly to the horse's mouth. It's a great leadership lesson. That's the only thing you should ever be like King Nebuchadnezzar in. Nothing else. And some of us are like, we would never be like King Nebuchadnezzar. I would never have a place that's just for me where people do whatever I say. (laughs) Okay. Don't lie to yourself. We all have that evil pridefulness within us that must be sacrificed on the altar of the goodness of God every single day. So he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? And you're thinking, I'm so glad that I don't have any idols in my life today that I need to bow to. I'm learning more and more that we've often said that money can be an idol. I believe that money funds what you worship. 
And you look at our world today, the modern day Babylon, again, it's this idea. It's not just a place, it's an idea. Um, and you see in Revelation that the angels cry out, say, praise be to God, Babylon has been destroyed. So Babylon is this idea. And in Babylon, they will tell you there's certain places where you need to bow your affections differently than the Bible says. There's certain places where you need to bow your commitments differently than the Bible says. There's certain places that you need to bow your morals differently than the Bible says. And so the king stands before us today. The king. It says, is, is it true? Is it true that you're worshiping other gods? Is, is it true that you're trying to find something that I can only offer? And where am I bowing? Whatever I bow to, I belong to. I'm learning wherever I'm bowing, I, I need to make sure it, it's with God and him alone. Because whatever I'm worshiping, I'm becoming. And I pray that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. So he's the only one that I can worship. I need, to, I need to focus on him. But it takes everything. Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. It takes my whole body. It takes everything in me. And one of my favorite books, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, written by two ladies, Anne and Lois. They were on an airplane and they were heading to Israel to go listen to a rabbi kind of teach, learn rabbinic teaching, rabbinic ways and historical things. And they're on this airplane and next to them is someone of Jewish descent who starts praying the Shema. Shema Yisrael. Uh, you know, hear Israel, the Lord our God is one. They start praying this but then they're rocking back and forth. And so Anna Lois kind of write it down like that's very interesting that they've never seen anything like this. So they land in Israel, they meet the rabbi and they say, hey, we saw something on the airplane. That I, 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 we've never seen it before. So we saw this person who was praying, but they were rocking back and forth and the rabbi started to smile. He said, that's called davening. That's uh, what we call our prayer. And we rock back and forth to show that our entire body is part of the prayer. Our entire body belongs to God. The entire body is our part of worship. And the rabbi says, that's why you'll hear many people say the candlestick of God is the whole of man on which he lights the fire of heaven. My whole body needs to be involved. If I can get to that place of complete obedience, complete surrender of worship, like, well, what does the Bible say about that? Romans 12, it captures it beautifully. This is Paul speaking. He says, brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Like your, your whole self, heart, soul, mind, and strength, your whole self. And then he says, let them be a holy and living sacrifice. How does that even make sense? A living sacrifice? Pastor Brooks was sharing that when, when we give our tenth, as you read in Leviticus, God was saying, I want you to get the best of the best of your crops and of the animals on the land. Give the best, not the worst, get the best. And they would bring the best, they would bring it before God, and they would offer it to God. Sacrifices are not living once they're sacrificed. So who are we living for? I want my whole body to be a living sacrifice only to God. I've completely died to the things of this world. God, I just want to live for you. And then he says, let this be a living sacrifice, the kind he will find, speaking God, will find acceptable. This week I felt like God was asking me, Marcus, would I view your worship as acceptable? I pray so. I pray that my worship would be genuine, not counterfeit. I pray that would be my worship. 
And for many of us, we're like, well, you know, sometimes I want to lift my hands, but I don't see other people doing it. And God goes, maybe that was me asking you. Will you give me your whole self? God, I, I really can't sing too well, so I really, don't, I really don't sing during worship. But if I play that, take me out to the ball, I'll sing that one. God, you know, I don't want to do too much. You know, I'll just kind of stand, I'll kind of stand here. Jesus says, what are you giving me then? He says, I'm going to give you my time. He says, but it's just supposed to be a living sacrifice. Oh, you just give me everything. God, I just give it to you. That's what he finds acceptable. In some, in some translations, it says, this is essentially the least you could do when it comes to worshiping God, is being a living sacrifice. Like, that's, that's where you have to begin. So this is truly the way to worship him. Could we get there? You think about, man, you look at the rest of the world, and Paul goes on, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. But let God transform you. So when someone says, I see you lifting your hands and singing, that's, that's unreal because just last week you were, yeah, but I'm letting God transform me. And things are different. I, I can't even begin to describe it. I was talking to someone outside of Smart and Final and they were in tears just talking about what God is doing in their life. And he says, I know it doesn't make sense. And I'm just smiling. Oh, yes, it does. Because we serve a God who doesn't make sense sometimes. And he was doing something so powerful in this man. I said, God is transforming you. Man, I want to be transformed by God into a new person who changes the way I think. For then you'll know God's will, which is God's will for you, which is good, is pleasing, and his perfect will. My prayer is we would be a people of worship, no matter what we're going through. That we would have this true ability to honor God because he's the only one worthy, and to give him glory. That's, that's to understand his weightiness. Nothing is, is as powerful and as mighty and, and deserving of worship as God. Nothing. My godliness should lead me to a godwardness. God, I just want to be with you. That's it. That's all that matters to me. Nothing else in the world matters anymore. God, I just want to worship you. I don't know, some of, some of us are sitting in the room today or, and you're thinking, you know, I, I have this, I love worshiping. You know, and I used to play guitar, I played piano and I did some of these things and, and man, I just, I just love worshiping. Worship with us. I know you see our worship team lead us in worship every week and you're like, man, that'd be so cool to do that one day. What are you waiting for? If you have a gift of worship and a talent in worship, whether you sing or play drums or play bass or play electric guitar or acoustic guitar or piano, whatever it may be, you can work in tech. You're like, I, I can do something, I think. Why don't you give it a try? Join a worship team. After service, Pastor Nate will be out at the blue tent or someone from the worship team out at the blue tent. They want to talk to you. How can you join the worship team? We have people on the back that you have un unbelievable stories. The person running sound today is someone who manages people who are working in medical manufacturing to ensure that they're licensed and certified properly. And he's running sound. What about you? You're like, well, I used to run sound at this church. I used to be a DJ, Billy. You know, whatever it used to be, whatever it is. Bring it to God. God, I want to give you my full life, my gifts. It's all to you. Imagine what kind of worship could happen when you offer yourself to him to lead others in worship. You're saying, well, you know, when we talk about worship, I'm just not sure exactly, you know, what it looks like. I read the verse, but, you know, I'm still kind of new to the faith. Can I tell you the greatest example of counterfeit worship I've experienced in my own life? The greatest example of counterfeit worship that I've ever experienced is addiction. Because in the midst of addiction, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get one more. 
or to get another. Doesn't matter how far I had to drive, doesn't matter who I had to call, didn't matter what I had to do, didn't matter what plane I had to get on, I was going to get there so I could get that. What if that was the way we viewed God? Oh God, it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter where I need to go. It doesn't matter where I need to be. You're telling me there's a worship night? I'm going to be there. You're telling me I can play worship in my house? It's going to be a place of worship, a place of meeting? Yeah, God, that's what I'm going to do. In my car, 30 minutes after work, when my mind is going crazy and I want to yell at people and I just get in my car and I'm on the, I'm on the transit or, or I'm on the freeway and there's traffic and I want to scream, I'm just going to say, I'll give you my worship. You still deserve it. You're worthy. You're driving slow. But you're still worthy. Right? I'm just going to give it all to him. This was their stance. This was their conviction. This was their grit that it was going to be God first. And so they're standing in front of him. And, and the king says this. Now when you hear the instruments and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image, of God, uh, image I have made, very good. So if you're going to bow down now, how many of us get into those situations? I'll say no. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, until I get pressed. And then it's, yeah, I guess, whatever. We're all doing it. I'll give you another opportunity. Bow like everyone else. Bow like everyone else. And then he says, but if you don't worship, here's the ultimatum. <laughs> You're going to be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to save you at that point? He says, any God, there is no other God other than me, is what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Think of the blasphemy that he's saying at that moment. There's no other God other than me, so who can save you? Who can save you from my hand, my power? And so these genuine, godly men who are following God with a God-first mentality, they move into the next letter in our GRIT um, acronym, which is resolve. They have this resolve. A deep determination of soul that says, I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to give in. I'm never going to quit no matter what. So they look at King Nebuchadnezzar in the eyes and say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves. What? King, I, I don't know if you heard me. Um, we said, no, we're not going to bow. He says, okay, well, <laughs> I'll give you an opportunity one more time. And then you're good. But if not, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And they say, we don't need to defend ourselves. Why? Because if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, they said, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And then they said, and, and forget the fire. You're talking about who can deliver us from your hand and your power? He will deliver us from your power because you're not going to live forever. They're thinking in their minds that God is able. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 should come immediately to our minds. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask, think, or imagine. To him be the glory forever. That's the God that we serve. I shared a song with you last week that I used to sing at a church um, growing up and planting. There was another one that I, I just couldn't help but thinking of. It went like this. God is able to do just what he said he will do. He's gonna fulfill every promise to you. Don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. He's able. That was them. So I'm not giving up. God can do this. He's able to. And, and in their resolve, in their God-first mentality, in their resolve, they keep what is so easy to lose in the midst of pain and oppression and suffering. They keep their integrity. So for many of us, we're like, no, God first, I will tell you, I'm going to... They keep their integrity. Notice they still said, King, <laughs> we don't need to defend ourselves. And imagine that's how the conversation went. King, we don't need to defend ourselves. 
If we're thrown into the fire, the God that we serve will be able to deliver us. And by the way, he will deliver us from your hand. It wasn't, you dirty, rotten king. How dare you think that you can? I'm telling you, my God is able to do it. And integrity is being the same person. Integrity is choosing courage over comfort. Choosing what is right over what is fun, fast, or easy. It's practicing the values that we preach. It's when what we say and what we do are the same thing. They're in alignment. That is integrity. That's what I think God is desiring from us. Do we have that kind of integrity? That the person you are in church on Sunday is the same person you are on Monday? Or the same person that you are on Tuesday? Or the person that you are on Saturday night is the same as Sunday morning. You're like, Marcus, you don't want to see that person on Saturday night. Well, let's work on that, okay? What if we had that type of integrity? Scripture says that the Lord detests lying lips. And you're like, no, God loves everybody. He does, and he detests lying lips. But he delights in those who are trustworthy. Are you trustworthy? Am I trustworthy? So for them, their integrity was, you know what, we're facing Jesus. So regardless of our feelings, I'm going to go where my feet are pointing. To him and him alone. It's my integrity. And so, so they, they say these words that I want us to have. Maybe you're here and you say, I know God can deliver me. But they say, even if he doesn't. God, you're so good that you can deliver me. But even if you don't. We want you to know your majesty. See, they're still being respectful. This story is not written about Marcus because I would not be at this point, okay? (laughs) Your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I believe we need need an even if faith. Even if this relationship doesn't work out. Even if that job that I'm hoping for is not the job that I get. Even if God doesn't show up in the way that I told him to. Even if after the flat tire I got home from work and I had a meeting at 5 p.m. So I gave two hours. I called AAA. They said we'll be there in 30 minutes. And then it took 45 minutes. And then it was 4 p.m. They said we'll be there at 3.45. And I texted back, you can't time travel. Even if they didn't show up. And I said, oh, I'll change my own tire. No problem. And I put worship, worship on. And I FaceTimed Nikki, my wife. And I said, all right. Lord wanted me to worship through this. Even if AAA didn't show up. Even if that doesn't come through, even if what you're expecting doesn't happen, will you still choose to worship him and him alone? Immediately when they say this, scripture says that King Nebuchadnezzar's attitude changed. Remember, a few verses earlier it says he was furiously enraged. What attitude is worse than that? Well, it's the type of attitude that gets him extremely angry. Type of attitude that causes him to go to the furnace and say, you guys are going to be going in there and I'm going to turn the furnace up seven times hotter than I've ever had it before. They say, we have this God for us mentality. We have a resolve. We have our integrity. So now, that's what you're going to do, King. Now we're going to walk in complete trust to God. In complete trust as God, I'm going to worship you for who you are, not what I get. And at that moment, with that posture, the strongest soldiers grab Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. And you're like, why did he have this furnace? Was it just to ruin bodies? No, it was actually like to smelt different metals. But he said, I'm not going to, it's probably what he used to actually make the gold image. He said, I'm not going to use it to melt metals. I'm going to use it to melt men. So the, the strong soldiers go up and they get burned. As soon as the door is open, they burn and die and fall to the ground. They close the door and then we have these three men. Firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I wonder what the conversation was. God, we've been living for you. God, why is this happening? 
God, why is the house situation like it is? God, God, why did another flat tire happen? God, why is the job situation like it is? God, why is the relationship like it is? God, we're living for you. And I don't think they just had small talk. I don't think they got into the fire and were like, hey, Shadrach, it's a little hot in here. And Abednego was like, well, it's a dry heat, so it's not too bad. It's a little, you know. <laughs> I believe they started to praise because they knew they didn't need to figure it out. If it was me, I'd be like, okay, where's the fire coming from? If we close that enough, everyone hold your breath because we don't want to breathe in uh, everything that's in here. Hold your breath. We'll be okay. Figure out where the fire is coming from and what does fire need? Fire needs oxygen. Okay, so there's got to be air. So we need to cover up the holes in it. No. God said, Marcus, I don't need you to figure it out. I need you to trust that I already did figure it out. So they walk into the midst of the fire. Three men, firmly tied in the blazing furnace. I'll say it again. Three men, firmly tied in the blazing furnace. Three men, firmly tied in the blazing furnace. I can imagine them, hands tied. God, you have us where you want us, even where we're at right now. God, right now, we know that you're here. And so God, we're just going to praise you in the fire, in your circumstance. Would imagine, imagine if we just continued to praise. And so they're in there, and this is a, a conversation, something happened, praise happened, worship happened, because all of the sudden, is it one verse later, the king Nebuchadnezzar rose to his feet, he leaped to his feet in amazement, asked his, his advisors, he said, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Three men tied up and thrown into the fire. I'll say it again, three men tied up and thrown into the fire. They replied, certainly your majesty. Then he said, look, I see four men walking around, what does that say? Unbound and unharmed. And the fourth man is like a son of the gods. Some of us are in the midst of a fire season, a fiery season, and you're walking in, and you're like, God, I just feel like, God, I feel like I can't even lift my hands and worship. I can't even lift my hands and praise. I feel like all these chains are on me. I feel like there's just this heaviness. God, and you're putting me through this difficult situation. God, what am I supposed to do? And he said, the fire is not to burn you, Marcus. It's to free you because you're unbound and unharmed now. And then I show up in the midst of the fire, which we call a Christophany. This is when Christ shows up in the Old Testament. A son of the gods. No, it's the son of God, King Nebuchadnezzar. I hope you would have gotten it then because you're going to read, as we continue reading through Daniel, he still continues to miss it. Right? I wish you would have gotten it then. Maybe you have some chains on you right now. You're going through a fiery season. A painful season. And God says, because I want to break the shackles that have been keeping you from me. And maybe you need something broken. And God said, it happens in the fire. It happens in the fire. God, I get them bound. They couldn't lift their hands. They couldn't lift their hands and worship God. And God said, no, we're not having that. Go ahead, man. They see the fourth man in the fire. I said last week, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. I'll say this week, worship is a response because God does tell the truth. In this moment, Jesus shows up in the midst. King Nebuchadnezzar calls out and he says, come out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He doesn't call out the fourth man because I don't think he can handle him. He's like, you guys come out. Scripture says that not a hair was burned, not one of the robes was scorched, and they didn't even smell of fire. Maybe the season you're going through is not to burn you, but to purify you. 
for what God has next. And I, and I feel I, I need to say even, even today that the fire that you're going through, remain faithful to God and remain obedient to him. Because oftentimes there is testing before promotion. What happened to these men was they came out. King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be your God. Not my God, but your God. Praise be your God. And then he promoted them. But they had to go through the fire. And they were willing to worship. And I wonder if in their minds, because as I kind of walk through wherever we're at in Scripture, I kind of walk through each of the books of the Bible. I wonder if they're reminded of Isaiah. One of God's promises. But now, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob. This is one of the sons whose uh, name was literally changed to Israel. This is where we get the name. Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You belong to God. And because you belong to God, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. See, I love scripture because you see all of these ties together. I wonder if they were thinking, if we can go into this fire, we're not going to be burned. Why? Because we belong to God. It might be painful, it might be warm. We might sweat a little bit, but we're not going to be burned. It's going to be a testimony of what God does on the other side of this. One of my favorite books, written by Francis Schaeffer, the title sums it all up. and says, how then shall we live? If God is who he says he is, how then shall we live? My prayer is we would live as people of worship, even in the midst of fire and trouble and difficulty. That's an opportunity for us to walk with godly grit, a God-first resolve, integrity, and trust. God, I want to walk with you. The longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another person was a woman at the well. And in that discourse, in that conversation, he says, there will come a time when God is seeking worshipers, true worshipers, who worship him in spirit and in truth. In church, I believe that time is today. God is seeking true worshipers. Will we be a church? Will we be a people? Will we be families and homes of true worship? So to end our time today, we want to end in worship just like that. Would you stand? Because God is so good. And again, it's this idea of lifted hands. And I know when we come to church, we're like, it just seems so weird. But we can see an entire stadium with lifted hands. And we're like, this is normal. Just a sign of surrender. Maybe it's, it's just hands in front of you, hands above. Which, God, I just give it to you. God, when Jesus walked the earth, he said he's looking you will be looking in a time for true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Not feelings. So God, regardless of what we face, you're still worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our song. What a beautiful gift it is. Let's worship together directly from our hearts.